danger. It's right when it's real, but not so right sometimes when it's just perceived. And then with that fear, we have anxiety. And that anxiety is what's going on in our body. Okay? The physiologic response in response to that emotion of fear. And then it gets connected with our mind and leads to what? Worry. And worry is the thought process where we kind of mull over, ruminate over the objects, the, the things that make us afraid. So let's turn first to Matthew chapter 14, and we're going to read verses 25 to 31. Most of you have heard this. It's, uh, I have actually a picture of this. It's one of my favorite um, pictures of Jesus. So, now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It's a ghost! And they cried out for fear. So just before that time, Jesus had gone up to the mountain. He said, go out to, this, to the water and I'll join you. And he went out to pray with God. Okay, He had already spent the day with the crowd. And he said, go ahead onto the Sea of Galilee. And now this is on the fourth watch. Some say the third hour. This is basically around three in the morning. Okay, And he's out there and he said he's going to come to them. So they should be expecting him. But they see him walking on the water. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him. Peter the bold one answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he, that's Jesus, said, Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Well, when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately, immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O you of little faith, why do you doubt now, I use that as an example, and we're going to talk more about it. Like some of the fears, like, I don't know about you, I have a fear of heights. I'm trying to get over it, but, you know, if you have this, these steps about a foot wide, I can walk all the way straight to the back of the room and back, no problem at all. But if you raise it up 100 feet in the air, not so good. Not so good. Same thing, no wind, nothing happening. I should be able to walk straight and back without a problem. Why don't I do that? I'm afraid. I'm afraid of what? That I might fall. That I might get hurt. But mostly, that I might die. We rock around every day with that fear. Fear of pain, fear of suffering, and especially fear of death. Those fears that we have drive so much of what we do. And we underestimate it its effect on us. So, it's appropriate when legitimate danger lurks, that we have fear, that we can protect ourselves, 
If you're in an area that's unsafe, you need to be a little fearful. You need to be cautious. Okay? Not so appropriate when it's not true. There are people, World War II, and actually any um, soldier who's been to war who's been exposed to gunfire, um, they're afraid of that shot, that sound of that shot. And then if they hear a blown tire or a firecracker go off, they may cower in fear. And we sometimes call a lot of that post-traumatic stress disorder. And so that fear drives them. That fear, which was reasonable at the time of war, which protected them then to be cautious and be on alert, is no longer protecting them, but actually causing them fear, suffering, pain, sorrow. What are some of the other fears that we may fear? Or what are some of the fears that we have? One is fear of failure. Some of us ridicule. Some of us, it's success. Others, just because we don't know what's going to happen. Some of us fear change. We want things the same all the time. For a lot of us, we're afraid of what other people think. I don't know if I could do that. I don't want people to think that of me. I don't know if I can be that bold about sharing my faith. I don't want them to think that I'm weird. Some of us are afraid of even being single. I remember I was that, afraid that nobody would want to be with me. Some are afraid of the opposite, of commitment, of marriage. Afraid of being tied down. Erwin McManus said, Your fears establish the limits of your life. If you fear heights, you will stay low. If you fear people, you will stay alone. So the thing to remember is fear can make you make very wrong choices. It'll establish limits on your life, and mostly it messes with your perspective. So, Jesus knew that. The Bible addresses fear over and over. There are over 100 different times that God specifically says, don't be afraid. Don't be fearful. Fear not. Again and again, both in the Old and New Testament, God is addressing our fear because He knows what it does to us. Jesus intimately understood that. So when He was talking to Peter, He said, Don't worry, I'm here. Even when you don't keep your eyes on Me, I've got My eyes on you. In all circumstances, at all times. Now, why does God allow us to experience some of that? A lot of what fear is, fear really reflects what we value, what we esteem, what we're concerned about, what we think about, what we're preoccupied with, what we worship in any given moment. Jesus did not want us to lose sight of what's the most important thing in our life. And so I'm going to address first four principles and some actions to deal with fear. 
number one. Let's look at Matthew chapter 6, verses 24 to 31. This will address both principles 1 and 2. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon, in all of his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the, the oven, will he, need, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For all, after all these things the Gentiles seek. But your Heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So the first principle is, my fear reveals what I value. My fear reveals what I value. So do I value things of the world? Do I value my security? Do I value my family? Do I value what people think of me? All those things. So when those are pulled away or taken away, that'll show you a lot about what you fear. And God is continually revealing our heart. So... That fear provides us a window into what our hearts try and find truly valuable. When our hearts align with God values, we will see the dangers around us differently. I want you to get this. If we see the way the Lord sees, so much of our perspective will radically change. So much of our anxiety, our worry, our fret will go away. So, what's the action step from this? God is calling us to overcome our fears by keeping our focus on what will last eternally. God is always taking us from the temple to the eternal. Peter's there on the water. He sees the wind. And God says, just keep your eyes on me. Come, focus on me. I'm here. Focused on the distant, focused on the eternal. The challenge and the invitation in the present of now, can we keep that eternal perspective? We talk about it intellectually. We talk about it Sunday morning, Wednesday night, sometimes in your devotion time. But to live in the present eternally, that is the invitation the Lord has for us at each moment. And we do, so much of the fear we have will go away. But more, also, just as important that goes along with that is principle number two. 
because my fears reflect my view of God. My fears reflect my view of God. Tim Keller, who recently passed, said, Worry is not believing God will get it right. And bitterness is believing God got it wrong. Wow. So when I worry, I don't think God's going to get it right. Are you sure this is the way it's supposed to be? I kind of want it this way. Are you sure your plan's better than mine? I kind of live my life. I think I know what's best. Really? And then when we don't get it and things happen, and those of us who suffered have lost loved ones, like I have, some of you wonder, yeah, I don't like your plan. And then you can build resentment or bitterness. You may not be in the job that you want. You may have missed opportunities and felt that you were cheated out of things. So bitterness can set in. And you think, God's not good. I don't trust you. Not realizing some of the choices, some of the things that happened are really due to our choices. And God, in His love, permitted us to make those choices. And God still, you know, God's still reaching out to us to bring us back to Him to help us make better choices. The choices that are fixed on eternity. And we'll talk a little bit more about what He wants us to do. So, one of the challenges is we can get so distracted about the future. When I say worry about eternity, I'm not talking about tomorrow or next week or next month or five years from now. I'm talking about what it's going to be like in heaven forever. That's the, what the Lord is asking each of us in the present of now. In the moment of now, am I going to be focused on just my needs, just my family needs, just what I want? Or am I going to be focused on what God wants in every moment of now? And when I believe that He's good and that He's true and that He has the best plans for me, it'll be a lot easier for me to follow them. Okay? My belief or unbelief makes a huge difference in my state of mind. So what's the action step that God's asking us in that? He's saying, look, God's calling me to overcome my fears by keeping my focus on His faithfulness. His promises are always true. Always faithful. We sing it. Do we believe it? Do we put it in practice? Is this something, we almost have to confess that. Because the other thing to be aware of is we have an adversary. Okay? We're not alone in this. We have brothers and sisters who encourage us. But on the other end, we have an adversary. We have an enemy that's trying to undermine us. The enemy is that's basically saying, is God really that good? Is God really, really that good? Is he really that nice? Are you sure he's going to take care of you? Look what happened there. He's going to let you stumble. Satan is going to always try to deceive us, discourage us, and cause discord. That's his intent from the beginning. It's always been his plan from the beginning. He does the same thing over and over. Slightly different variations, but essentially the same game plan. And so, Scripture says in Romans, there's no condemnation for us in Christ Jesus. When you're in Christ Jesus, you're not condemned. You're not condemned. You can screw up. You're not condemned. 
You're not condemned. I don't know how to say that enough to make it, for you to get it. We're not condemned. You're free. Who the Son has set free is free indeed. Okay, and you have to walk in that freedom that the Lord has and the choice that He has. And if you're hearing condemnation that you're no good, you screwed up, God won't take care of you, God doesn't like you, He's disappointed in you, that is not of the Lord. By rights, He should be disappointed in all of us. But He knows our frame. He chooses to love us even though we are clearly imperfect. Even though we screw up every single day. Because if that's who He is, He's that good. But He loves us not to leave us where we were, but to take us to be more like Jesus. That's His plan. At each moment, focus on eternity. I want my children to be like my perfect son. So that's what He's doing. And everything He's doing, He's going to work it all to good. And what's good? Being like Jesus. There's nothing better than being like Jesus. There's nothing better than being like Jesus. That's what his goal is from the, from the beginning. So let's move to principle three. My fear is related to my trust in God. So the more, so what I believe makes a difference, how much I'm willing to trust in him will make a difference. So if I trust that God's good, I will fear less. If I don't trust that he's good, I'm going to be living more and more in fear. If you look at Matthew chapter 8 and the beginning of 9, you get to see so many people who came up to Jesus. A leper comes up to him in Matthew 8, verses 1 to 3, and asks if he can be healed, if he can be clean, and Jesus heals him. A centurion comes up to him and asks for a care of a loved one. Jesus goes over to Peter's mother-in-law's house and heals her. There are so many who are afflicted with illness and spiritual oppression. Jesus heals. So many people come up to him asking for help to address it, and he continually meets them at their need. They have fears about security. They have fears about their family, their loved ones, their own health, their own illness, the suffering of a child permanent disability, their loss of their reputation, and Jesus always speaks the words of truth. The key is always to focus on eternity. The key is that God's going to take care of them and that he's faithful, and he shows it at each moment. He tells the disciples again, again, apart from me, you can do nothing, because they're wondering, how can this all happen? So many things can happen, are available to us, if we don't fear and trust God. That's the opportunity. When we walk in that faith and trust in God, He opens up avenues for us. He directs our path. He makes them all straight. And we underestimate what God wants to do in and through our lives when we completely surrender and trust Him. If you know He's good, you really believe it, you'll be amazed what He'll do through and in you. Now, the challenge for us is too often, we kind of say, yeah, I trust you, but not really. We hold on to it. And what God's trying to do is literally trying to pry our fingers off one at a time to let go of those things that we treasure, that we value more than Him. 
And that's the opportunity for us is to surrender those. So the action step from that is God calls me to overcome my fears by keeping my focus on trusting Him within my trials. I shared before, we either in the midst of a trial, coming out of a trial, going into a trial. Why do we have trials? God allows that to make us more like Jesus. Every trial is an opportunity to reveal our heart, to see what we value, to God to conform us to make us more like Jesus. He's continually trying to conform us to the image of the Son. So, the last principle is actually one of the things that I think is so important. And one of the most, the best ways for me to get out of my fear. And that my fears are best directed by compassionately serving others. If I'm in my room by myself, mulling over my things and my circumstances, it just is not a pretty sight. It's not a good thing. God wants us to continually serve others because it's really not about us. When we're anxious, we can't help but be inwardly focused. In the nature of my work, I see people who are anxious all the time, depressed, suicidal. Every single suicidal person I've met is inwardly focused. Every single one. Their focus is solely on themselves. The others in their family who love them. Some of them have kids, and, I've, and I ask them, are you okay if your kid commits suicide? And they go, no. Well, if they're feeling down and can suicide, is that okay? They may feel it's better off for you and everybody if they're not here. And they go, no. I said, you'd suffer if they'd go. I go, yes. Well, your child's going to suffer if you go. Your child's going to grow up thinking, what did I do wrong that daddy want to be here? Okay? Those are natural responses. And so, why am I letting you know that is when we get anxious and worried, it's always inwardly focused and it closes our heart down. When we're serving others, when we're getting out there, even if you don't feel like it and you actually do that, you will find that your fears will kind of take a back seat. Because you also realize, number one, you're not alone, that other people are going through trial and circumstances. Same thing. When we're fearful, we think we're the only one going through it. Never true. God uses that. He'll provide our consolation, and we get to console others. So you can say, I'm afraid, and I'm still going to do it. May surprise you, but I'm always fearful coming up here and sharing. My mind goes blank beforehand. I'm thinking, I don't know what I'm going to say. It happens every time. Every single time. I'm thinking, I can't do it. That's the first thing that hits my thought when I sit in the chair. And I go, okay, I have a choice. Do I depend on my reasoning or do I depend on God? Okay, God, you're faithful. I really believe it. And we sing worship. I'm singing for I'm going to trust that you're going to give me the words to say when I need to say them. And he does. Because he's faithful. Because he's good in all of his ways. And he promises to deliver us. Especially if the intent is for the benefit of others. So, 
Oh, yeah. Fear by itself paralyzes us. Okay? That's the reason why when a one-foot-wide plank underfoot in the air, I can't walk it. On the floor, I can walk it. hundred feet up in the air, yeah, I'm going to fall. Yeah, I don't think I can take it. Okay? It's that fear that paralyzes me. Okay? And when you get out of yourself and you go, why am I walking across to the other side? If I see my child on the other hanging, about to fall off, then the priority of serving others becomes much greater than my fear, and I will get out there in any way that I can, even if it looks like I'm crawling on my hands and knees. Okay? Because my priorities are different. And the value for us is once we get our priorities right aligned with God, we can overcome our fears. God will help us overcome our fears. So one of the things I want to now address is the most important part of the whole thing with addressing fears, which is God is on our side. You are not alone in addressing your fears. How do we know that God is on our side is we get to know Him. We worship Him. We spend time in His Word. We talk to Him. That's what prayer is. And the more time you spend in His Word, the more time you let it to wash over you to understand the nature and character of God, but also being in a relationship with Him, the more you can trust Him. And what I mean by relationship is talking with Him, being in conversation with Him. One of the things I love in our worship is we do that in between the songs. We're talking and praising God. We are in communion with the Lord. And your invitation is for your own private worship time is talk with Him. He wants to talk with you. He wants a relationship with you. He wants you to know that you're not alone. And so there are five points about God that I want you to understand to help us deal with our fears. The first one, let's look at Psalm 34.4. David calls out to God. He says, I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. If you take your fears to God, he will hear you. That's the first thing. You won't be left without answers. You can talk to him about it. He's not afraid to hear about you being afraid. He knows. So, the idea is, when I'm feeling fearful, talk to him. God, I'm afraid. I don't want to do this. I need your help. He understands. Some things you may not even know why you're afraid. God, I'm feeling anxious and I'm afraid. I don't even know what it is. Help me understand what's going on in my own heart. What is it here that makes me anxious and scared? Why don't I want to step forward in trusting in this? Why am I unsettled? He'll help you. He knows our hearts. Number two, if you take your fears to God, He will destroy them for you. Look at Isaiah chapter 35, verses 3 to 4. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are fearful-hearted, Be strong, do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. This speaks to a God who will swiftly come. He'll, and you go through Isaiah in chapter 41, 
55, and we'll go through, I mean, you can go through the whole book again and again. It talks about how good of a God he is, that he comes down, takes them out, plucks them out of their trial and tribulation. If they're in front of enemies, I mean, literally, we'll lay the enemies aside and rescue you. That's the kind of God. So in the midst of your trial, God is for you. He intends to rescue. Not necessarily from the trial, not necessarily from suffering, if it conforms to the image of Christ. But if your plan is for His glory, He's always going to keep you from things beyond what you can bear. He's going to give you what you can have to make you like Jesus. And the idea is the more we trust, the more provision He will give for us. Usually our problem is God provides a way, He's there seeking, and it would be like Peter calling out to Jesus, save me, and then Jesus gives his hand to reach him, and then Peter then puts his hand away. That's our problem. God gives away, and instead of reaching out and going, yes, save me, we actually turn away. So, God may not always change our circumstances, but God will take the fear away that you may have that things won't change. will also bring you hope, Love and strength to keep going. Number three, if you take your fears to God, you are freed from the past and it won't go with you to the future. Look at Isaiah chapter 54, verse 4. Do not fear, for you will not be ashamed. Neither be disgraced, for you will not be put to shame. For you will forget the shame of your youth and will not remember the reproach of your widowhood anymore. God has said over and over that he will forget your sins no more. If you're feeling shame and fear from things of the past, God forgives you for that. He wants you to walk in the freedom that's available through Christ, and he will cleanse your mind, even of things of the past that you have done, as you repent and trust in him. Number four. If you humbly take your fears to God, you will see much of how much He loves and cares for you. Look at First Peter chapter five, verses five to seven. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all of your care upon him, for he cares for you. Casting all of your cares. That means all of your worries, all your anxiety, all your fear, all that stuff on him, he cares for you. Now, it does talk about the hard attitude we have to have, about humility about submission. But it says that God will care for you. As we shared earlier at the beginning in Matthew, He cares about the birds. He feeds them. He dresses the lilies in the field. He'll take care of all of our needs. And number five, if you take your fears to God, you will realize that you were never created to fear the unknown or others. In Christ, 2 Timothy 1, verse 7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power 
and of love and of a sound mind. We worship earlier, more power, more love, more of you. That's the heart in Jesus. That we will have again and again that self-discipline, that power and love in Jesus. So look at 1 John verses 4, 12 to 21. Because this is really the core of the message of everything that we've shared today. And if we can get this, we'll really get a sense of what Christ wants for us. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love has been perfected in us. But this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him. And He in God. And we have known and believed the love that God that God has God in Him. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as He is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him also, that he who loves God must love his brother also. So there's a lot there. The take-home messages from that is, number one, when you have the Spirit of God in you, you're changed. That Spirit is there to transform our mind, to transform our hearts, to transform our will. That spirit is there. It keeps us abiding in the vine. We have a choice to be listening to the spirit or not. But as we listen and as we abide in Christ, we're going to do a couple things. We're going to love God. And that love can increase. But that love is not something that's self-contained. It doesn't stay in us. The love that Christ gives us is for the benefit of others. We're going to love others. If we're not loving others, we don't have that love in us. How do we know we have that love in us? Because we're loving others. That's what the Word says. And that's that love, as it's made perfect in us continually, as we're loving others and loving God, our fear will be cast out. That tormenting fear that binds us, that limits us, that causes us continual grief and sorrow will fade away as God's love grows more and more, and our confidence as our minds are eternally focused at each moment, not just on Sunday mornings, not just when we look at the Bible, but in each moment, thinking, I'm going to be in heaven with Jesus? Really, nothing bad here can be that bad. I'm going to have that perspective. I'm not saying it's not going to hurt, but it's not going to be that bad. I'm going to be in heaven with Jesus. And I know what God's plan is, is the best way. So while I'm here, God, Use me as you will, because you deserve the glory. And your way is always the best way. And it's perfect. His love is made perfect in us. 
His ways are perfect because everything about God is perfect. It's not just okay. It's not just good. It's perfect. And He knows what we need. And it'll be different for each of us. And that's the hard part. We can be jealous to look at those things. Our eyes are not to be focused on my brother and sister except to serve them. Not to see what they have, not to think about what they're doing, but my focus is on Jesus because that's the plan He's given for me. And if my eyes are on Jesus, then what's happening around me, the wind, the waves, those things are secondary. They really won't dissuade me from reaching out to Him, to following Him. And the invitation is for us to see that. Look through the verses. There's so, so much about fear in the Bible. And over and over, and I had to pick and choose some, but there's an opportunity. And we as a church are at this place where God's going to call us to step forward boldly. Boldly. And there's a part of us that's going to be timid. And God does not give us a spirit of timidity. He's going to ask us to help others radically. We're going to be uncomfortable because we're not used to it. Not sure. Is it safe? Is it going to be okay? And that safety has to be in the confidence in the Lord, not in our own reasoning and thinking. And that's something that's going to invite us over and over. I invite you to press into that. His way is the best. Now, for some of you, this is you're okay with it, and you've been really God's been working and dealing with you. But to others, this is really, really important. And this is the the point that God's taking you that He wants you to really surrender and trust in Him. And if you don't have that relationship with Him, that you trust Him, if you're not really abandoned to trusting the Lord, this may be the very day that you can do that. So I invite you to come up here if you need to spend time with the Lord. We have people up here who will pray for you, who want you to enter in the kingdom if you don't know Jesus. And if you do and need encouragement, then come up for prayer. You're not in this alone. We're here to shirk and console one another, to help one another. And so, please come forward. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I thank you that you're here. You are here, and you're speaking. And that person, God is saying to you, you don't have to be afraid of surrendering your life to me. It's not scary serving God. It's not scary when you surrender your life to Him. It's wonderful. It's glorious. He changes everything. I spent six years or so as a, as a so-called Christian in name, anyway. But you know what ruled me? You know what kept me back from really surrendering to God? Fear. Clinging to my life, clinging to control of my life, clinging to what I believed my life should be, clinging to what I really felt like I needed, the, the things that I thought, believed would make me happy. And God was there over and over and over and over again, extending his hand. But I wouldn't. I couldn't. 
because I didn't understand. Until one day, he opened up my understanding to a love that was beyond anything I ever could imagine, ever hope for. And it was really the, just the reality of the cross and God dying on a cross and revealing to us his heart, what he's really like. What he's really like. He is love. He, he's the definition of it. And none of us understands love until he reveals that love to us. But when he does, all your fear, all your doubt will melt and you will run to him. You will cling to him because you will realize that he is trustworthy, that he is worth surrendering and, and giving everything you are to him. And I'll just tell you, when you do that, the freedom that comes, the chains that are broken, the deliverance that comes into your life, the things that you thought were impossible, all of a sudden, in an instant, God does. He's here today. He's here. He's really here. And I'm going to ask... It's either that one or, or maybe there's others. I know there's one. I know there's one here. And God is just saying to you, I love you. 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 I died for you when you were my enemy. I love you. I love you. I love you. You can trust me. You can place your life in my hands. I'm more than capable of doing what you think is impossible. I know how to take care of you. I know how to provide for you. I have a plan for your life. And it's to give you life. It's to give you hope. It's to give you a future. It's better than what you can imagine. It's so far beyond which you can think or imagine. I can look back over my life for 30 years and not to say it was easy, not to say I haven't had trials, not to say there were times I felt like I couldn't go on, but yet, yet in the midst of it all, God's been faithful. God has done above and beyond what I ever could think or imagine. And he is no respecter of persons. You are not too hard for him. So God is speaking to you today. Today's your day. You want to be free. You want to know that love. You want to know the peace. You want to know that you're truly His. Just walk up this aisle. Just say, Lord, I believe. I believe. I believe, Lord. And I'm coming to you. If there's anyone here today, you're tired of being on the fence. He's been speaking to you, and he spoke to you today, and he's telling you, I love you. You don't have to be afraid. Turn to me. 
Turn to me today. Come to me. I will give you rest. I will. That's my promise to you. I will take care of you. I will wrap you up in my arms. I will do in you what you think is impossible. But you have to come to me. Anyone. His hand is out to you today. Just walk up this aisle. Just place your hand in his hand. He wants to lead and guide you. He wants to take your life and lead it out of misery. Lead it out of hopelessness. Don't be afraid. Thank you, Lord. You know, the Lord is patient. He's long-suffering, but there will come a day when the door is shut. Don't wait till that day. Please don't wait till that day when the door is shut, when there is no time. Now is the time. He's pleading with you. He's pleading with you. You just take one step and he'll give you the grace to do the rest. Trust me. He's done it in my life. He could do it in your life. He's done it in many other lives here. He can do it in your life. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. 